Hello and welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast with the Pop Culture Core, here live and on location at the Playful Learning Conference in Leicester. I'm Mike, your host, learning designer at the Open University and imposter syndrome incarnate and bearer of a whole table full of microphones and one still, still a bag of crisps that's still survived the day somehow. Um, and joining me, we have... Hi, this is Scott Wilson and I'm a senior data and analytics developer for JISC. For JISC? Yes. Cool. There you go. Kudos, huh? Just just were podcasting before podcasting was cool as well. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, I work for JISC. I work in the data analytics team with about 20 people doing all kinds of clever stuff with data oh. and uh, providing that to the sector. That's so cool. Sorry, brief aside, do you have like any interaction? Because um, JISC took, took over the old like qualitative surveying tool. Oh, you mean the... Um, yeah, the, the, what's it called? Well, it's called JISC surveys or JISC, yeah, it's JISC, called, JISC online surveys. It used to be um, Bristol online surveys. Something like that, yeah. yeah. We also do the digital uh, experience insight surveys and we also provide all the data from HESA. Um, so, Scott, can you tell me about a game that you're passionate about? It could be a board game, sport, something you play with your family, video game. So, I'm a massive gamer, generally. I'm just really, really into games, always have been. And... Um, Xbox Game Pass has been a bit of a kind of like a horrible thing for me because it now got too many games to play. Um, so it's really hard to pick any. But the one that has been stuck with me recently is something called Elden Ring because it is just so phenomenally difficult. And also it's got a ring in the title, which means Nick always laughs when I mention it, which is great. <laughs> ring. <laughs> ring. <laughs> Nick is literally laughing now as well. And not even like a little laugh. It's so, a full so body laugh. So I was either going to mention uh, Elden Ring or Skyrim, both of which are uh, guaranteed to uh, make Nick uh, collapse in a fit of giggles. I love this conference. <laughs> <laughs> So Elden Ring is just this phenomenally unforgiving and difficult game that really, really makes you struggle and suffer for the whole thing. It's the game that I have hated the most playing it, and yet I keep coming back to it because the challenges, although they're really phenomenally hard, they do have solutions. You can get through them with enough skill and practice. Um, you can't cheat your way through them. You have to figure out the skills and learn the skills and you know, really, really go at it. And that's that level of challenge is really interesting. You don't see many of those games. Games these days tend to let you, you know, kind of like bodge your way through it if you're just not very good. This game just says, no, no way. Nope, nope. You know, try again 500 times to defeat this boss and you might just, you know, luck it out. So I quite like that. And the other thing is it's... So Nick was recently t- talking about a game she played, Monkey Island, where she was playing like with a mum and trying to solve problems together. And there's a weird mechanic they put into Elden Ring that I've never seen in other games, which it, it is single player, but there's a social element mm. in that you can leave messages for other players. And these pop up in the game world, these messages you can read. And you can struct them out of this kind of like set of phrases. But you can do things like, you know, say things like, beware ambush on left before like going into a, a room. So someone go, oh, right, okay, I'll get the shield out. <laughs> Something's going to ambush me. Um, of course, players being what they are, they mostly also use this system to try and create rude messages and leave them everywhere. So any time there's a statue, there's like a, usually a, a message left behind it saying um, finger, butt, hole, and, or something similar. So again, Nick would love this. Um, Nick, Nick is loving this. For, I really wish this was a video podcast right now because it's, it's escalated to a full-body snigger. So I love that combination of there's a game that is very much single-player, 
totally competitive, but at the same time, there's this scaffold of all the other players around the world trying to de defeat the same horribly overpowered bosses and ludicrously unfair fights, but they're putting their little hints of, actually, if you use poison on this boss, you know, you might have, a, have an edge. So I quite like that combination of things. That's unique. I'm personally a big fan of Elden Ring as well. Um, I'd like to describe it as the game that I hate, but that hates me more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a game built on, on mutual hate. So taking a step uh, aside from games for a second, just to your, you know, your learning and teaching practice, how you're, you're involved in, in learning and teaching, can you just describe that for us? Well, it's slightly different to most people at this conference in that um, I'm a developer and a member of a, of a development team. Yeah, so I'm mostly interested in um, how I develop my team. So, you know, how we um, use our CPD time, how we, you know, allocate our training resources, um, how we identify gaps uh, in our skill base and uh, upskill so we can, you know, deliver better products. So it's, it's slightly different to what most people, I think, at these events uh, are interested in, but there is a, a nice little crossover, certainly with gaming. Hmm. Um, and gaming is a very popular activity with the developers generally. I can't think that, that weird Venn diagram. You can never see the intersects, can you? It's not that it's basically a circle. Well, what's really weird is my team. I'm pretty much the only hardcore gamer, which really surprised me. That is weird. It is really odd. There's twenty of us, and there are hardly any gamers. Oh, it's really odd. Oh, developing got really trendy. I think at one stage, and yeah. it's, it's all like handsome people who do sports. Um, yeah, totally. There's there's loads of of buff uh, developers in our team that go to the gym and stuff. It's just crazy. It's just it's not it's not right. It's not right. Big uh, shout out there to Abu if he's listening. <laughs> Keep pumping iron at the gym, Abu. <laughs> so thinking of some of the characteristics of, of Elden Ring, um, and I'm actually really interested to see if or where this goes, of brutal... You just mentioned Ring again and Nick's off again. <laughs> brutal hatred, challenge, um, but also the kind of the single player challenge, but aided by a kind of a wider community effort and innuendo. Do you see the two intersecting at all? I think it's quite similar in a way to how people learn uh, technical skills. Um, when people have, certainly in my job, there's lots of people who have come across technical challenges that are frustratingly hard. Um, there isn't often many people around to help you other than Stack Overflow. So, you know, folks are kind of like trying, trying to solve a problem and then Googling things and looking on Stack Overflow, then take, pasting some code in that doesn't work and constantly going through that cycle. So to me, the, the Elden Ring kind of like cycle of a bit of kind of social scaffolding, but ultimately it's down to your skill and the, the competencies you've developed. There's a really close crossover between that. I think uh, the, the meta game of Elden Ring is learning to write Python. <laughs> That's just so perfect. I don't even want to ask anything more on that. It's just such a nice note to end on almost. But I, <laughs> but I do. Oh, that's so good. I mean, I particularly like Stack Overflow being essentially the messaging system from Elden Ring just in the... Yeah, totally. Including all the all the rude messages and, and people being horrible. It's like, exactly the same in that respect. Until eventually you find like some obscure link from 2007 to somebody's GitHub page or something. Yeah, and they've actually got, there's the one line of code that does it. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> After wading through finger butt holes. So <laughs> Um, so would you say that games have actually influenced your practice, your professional practice? I mean, absolutely. And the thing I'm here uh, presenting at this conference was some work we did um, looking at how we model skills and competencies in the workplace and how that can be influenced positively by the gaming experience. Um, so I play a lot of games that have skill trees in them. So 
I play a lot of Skyrim, Outriders, Elder Scrolls Online, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. All these games, the thing that links them all together is there's a whopping great skill tree which defines your build and what you can and can't do in the game. And developing that is part of your practice of the game. It's not just going around doing stuff actually in the game world. It's faffing around with the skill tree. Um, however, if you present like a, um, a work competency framework to, to someone, they're not really going to go play with that or spend much time on it. So what I've been doing is taking uh, the skill tree approach that's very popular in games, applying that to skill development in my team and getting people to complete skill trees. Oh, I love that. That's so fun. And it's amazing that, that they actually enjoy it, even though they're not gamers. Um, you know, they go and fill this thing in. The thing I compared it to is another team at JISC were wanted to do something similar in terms of mapping the skills in their team. And their approach was they basically sent out a 200-question survey that you had to complete and would go to your manager and be part of your appraisal and all the rest of it. Um, and I presented them with a skill tree with a load of kind of funny graphics on it and uh, stuff ripped off of uh, D&D. And, and everyone uh, filled it in and, uh, and submitted it and said, uh, that, that's what I can do. This is like hearing about the light side of gamification. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's trying to find um, a nice balance of people like skill trees. They find them easy to understand. They find competency frameworks difficult and boring. And so it's kind of trying to find a way that kind of elicits people's response. So they actually do describe what they can do in a way that actually doesn't feel like work to them. Yes, of course, because, you know, you may not know a competency framework, but boy, have you played Skyrim. So Absolutely. It's, it's that relatable kind of conceptual uh, framework, which you're slapping on top and going, no, no, it's the same. It's the same. Yeah, and it kind of is much easier to uh, to deal with comp- you know, conceptually. You can't say, well, are you a level two or a level three Python developer? It's actually quite a hard question to answer whether, can you do this or can't you? Can you do this next thing or can't you? They're kind of like quite tangible questions for people. And I think getting that simplicity down... and. And it's got a lot of complexity behind that, as you know, AA games have a lot of complexity and mechanic, but they present it as this very simple and lots of binary choices. And so using that kind of um, method, I just you know, it, it's been very successful for us in terms of getting people to really um, be more open about their skills. And we've used it to identify things like skill gaps in our team, um, where we've got underutilized skills. So there's th- lots of things that people know in my team and that now we know they can do. It means we can kind of like take on projects that uh, before maybe we would have steered away from because we weren't certain whether we could do them or not. Um, and it's, it's really been quite uh, an eye-opener. But it's been, um, it's been really interesting to, to try and get to the point where people are kind of effectively filling out a really complicated competency framework but not cursing me for it. That's fabulous. So if you had to give one top tip to your, your fellow educators the world across, um, based on that, what would it be? There are a couple of lessons I got from it. One is keep things really simple. Don't overcomplicate and throw a ton of jargon at things. And the other is um, keep it opt-in. One thing that I think was really uh, a major factor in success with this is nobody was made to do it. No one was made to complete their skill tree. And no one was forced to share the results. So it was all uh, by consent, and that got a lot of buy-in. Fabulous. That's Scott. Thank you so much for sharing uh, the games that you're passionate about. And yeah, just that fabulous, fabulous. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm just, I, I basically, I'm going to find a way to steal your, your Skyrim skill tree based framework for some induction work that we're doing because I love it. But so th- thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, where can people find you online? Assuming, of course, you want to be found, that you're not um, a criminal. You can find me on Twitter. My uh, handle there is ScottBW. You can tell you got the right one if there's a picture of a red dinosaur. 
Red Dinosaur Scott BW. Thank you so very much for your time. This is Mike at the Pedagogilla Podcast signing out. Goodbye now. Bye. Thanks. I mean, you might have heard the smile weirdly, but he gave a lovely grin. It was quite sweet.